everybody it's episode 109 of no guitar is safe featuring a cool bonus chat with the great legendary rock and roller slash it's brought to you by ernie ball you know they're excited to announce that their highly anticipated vp junior tuner pedal and believe me it is highly anticipated because this thing was the buzz of the nam show this year everyone was talking about it is here the vp junior tuner the perfect combination two-in-one pedal offering precise volume control because you know it is a volume pedal and ernie ball's been making killer volume pedals forever and it has an enhanced high definition digital tuner display on the top of the pedal on the face looking through the top of the pedal it's really cool you got to see it the pedal features a fast and accurate chromatic tuner with a graphic volume display i've been talking about that is visually attractive and easy to operate. The large display automatically switches between tuner and volume modes depending on the signal level. In other words, where you have the pedal set, allowing the player to tune at minimal volume. You can also set it to an always-on configuration if you want the tuner on the whole time, no matter where the pedal is or, or vice versa, always volume. There's different modes and you can access them by double tapping the touch screen. Very cool, very colorful looking, bright, and of course, the tuner can be calibrated to a variety of ideal reference pitches. And its compact, rugged design consists of aluminum housing and features a stronger, more durable PVC-coated Kevlar cord, which ensures consistent tension throughout the sweep of your foot. And I told you these things look cool. You're going to go to ernieball.com and you're going to see for yourself how cool they are. But on top of that, they're available in silver, red, white, and black. So you even have some choices. Visit ernieball.com to learn more. Okay, apologies in advance, but I just got to sing for a second. Yesterday, that shitty virus seemed so far away. Now no rock bands are allowed to play. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yesterday indeed. You know, I don't usually sing on the intros to these things, but, well, yesterday I was supposed to be on a plane to be playing a gig in Wisconsin tonight with Jefferson Starship, but that didn't happen. Everything's canceled. This is the first podcast of the Homageddon era of, <laughs> of Homageddon, you know, when we're all supposed to lay low during this situation that we all are hoping somehow doesn't play out too terribly. Let's be surprised by some good stuff. I hope you're with loved ones and are well-fed and very healthy. All of y'all, thanks for listening to the show. It was a crazy day yesterday. I mean, the second biggest school district in the nation shut down. Los Angeles school district here. Disneyland's closed. I mean, you know, President Trump has declared also a state of emergency and it's been raining for four days in a row, man. And it's supposed to keep raining for several more days. So even that alone is pretty trippy for Los Angeles. So yesterday was a day we will remember. And uh, it's like if you're listening two weeks or two months or two years from now, a lot of you come back and listen to these. Well, we're all wondering how it's going to turn out. So it's a little snapshot in time here. But we are going to go back in time in a bit and go to the NAMM show where I had a cool hang with Slash who wanted to tell me about a few things, including his new Gibson guitar line, acoustic and electric, including the Appetite for Destruction Les Pauls, or the AFD Les Pauls, as he calls them. They're replicas of the guitar that he used on, you know, Welcome to the Jungle, Sweet Child of Mine, 
Mr. Brownstone, all those songs on Appetite for Destruction. And that guitar was actually a Les Paul copy built by Chris Derrick. And this line delivers beautiful versions of that guitar, significantly cheaper than the custom shop versions. So, you know, he worked this out with the chief merchant officer of Gibson, Cesar Guikian. I sure hope I'm saying that name right, but he is a very popular new CMO of Gibson. And they made this happen for the people. Well, you know, semi-well-heeled people. And this whole thing is brought to you by Ernie Ball, Music Man, and that great VP Junior tuner pedal. And yeah, as I said, Slash has got some acoustic J45s too. I've interviewed Slash a few times, including back when in the age before podcasts, where he even played some acoustic guitar for me. might sound familiar to you that little tune right there this interview was done at the nam show this year you know gibson publicist libby coffee of prime pr group she's one of my favorite publicists well you know libby and her goons man they blindfolded me sat me in some kind of vehicle felt like an suv i couldn't see no i'm kidding it was like an uber or lyft and we shot over to this secret hotel a few miles from the nam show just a few hours before Gibson's great Nam concert, which you also heard about on the recent Solise and Jimmy Vivino podcast. Now, some Nam jams can be weird, you know, like Paul Gilbert once told me in an interview that he suffered a lot of his hearing loss at a Nam jam. Lukather, man, <laughs> he's so funny. I once invited him to take part in a Nam jam. And the always colorful Steve Lukather said, Nam jam? I'd rather get my prostate checked than take part in a Nam Jam. But this was no ordinary Nam Jam. This was held at the Grove of Anaheim, which holds like 3,000 people. This was a concert, and it was so organized because Jimmy Vivino was the musical director, and there's Slash up there jamming with guys like Billy Gibbons, Jimmy Vivino, and Elliot Easton, and women like Lizzie Hale, and like Salise, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, Richie Faulkner from Judas Priest, Jared James Nichols was there. You know, here's a cool little moment where Slash was rocking out and playing an intricate, very famous double lead line with Don Felder. Yeah, it was a great night. Kenny Aronoff on drums, Daryl Jones on bass. Anyhow, this is Jude Gold. I thank you for listening. You know you got to keep it alive till you're 95. And if the world don't end, well, we got a lot of podcast action coming your way because the touring industry is shot right now. And the reason I call it a bonus episode is this is shorter than usual and we're not jamming. There's no guitars in hands. It's just a conversation, but I thought it'd be pretty cool for you to check out. We'll get to the real deal full on guitars and hands episodes again hopefully in a few days thanks again to ernie ball music man i love that pedal so 
Let's head back in time to a less viral time in Anaheim. It's not really a show day. Is it different for you that it's a NAM show? You say it's not really a show day. I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I'm not going to NAM. And so to me, it's not a NAM show. It's just an event at, in the NAM facility. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a little different because it's a little bit looser and, and, Whatever, but I still I still get a, a little a little uptight. Regardless, just make sure I remember my fucking parts. <laughs> you know, of course. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. I know it's, it seems like a rowdy event tonight. <laughs> well, it's good to see you again. I've actually did two cover stories on you for uh-huh. a guitar player, and then maybe another feature. And uh, that I really, last one, I, yeah, I can't remember. It was like three years ago or yeah. something. So. You know, we do you every couple of years or so. <laughs> but I hear you got a couple of new guitars you're talking about here. Now, can you tell us the story just briefly for anyone who doesn't know of your original appetite, Les Paul in quotes, and how these, how the new standard might relate to that? Well, I mean, you know, I've done a couple um, uh, Gibson slash models. Um, the, the, the Appetite for Destruction model was a, a, a copy of my... Um, Chris Derrick Les Paul copy that I recorded Appetite for Destruction with. And that was my main guitar up until from the, from, from the recording of the album up until about 1988. And I decided that I was just putting too much damage on it and uh, decided yeah. to c- go to Gibson personally and see if I'd get a couple guitars for them. And they sold me a couple Les Paul standards and I retired the Derrick and I only used it in the studio. Anyway, so I asked Gibson if they wanted to do uh, a version of that particular guitar and it actually came out really really great and i still use them to this day the, the yeah. custom shop afds and those um, were like five thousand bucks or so back then yeah yeah they, they're pretty they were, they were up there the custom shop guitars are 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 expensive but they're you know the attention to detail and and they are custom handmade you know limited edition right. guitars anyway so so with the usa thing you know when cesar came on board as CEO, we talked a lot about some of the stuff that, that, you know, having to do with what Gibson will be doing, should be doing, and this and that, and uh, really liked the guy. And I was like, you know, one of the things that really concerns me is that USA has actually been kicked to the side, um, and people are, are spending the money to buy custom shop guitars. And it shouldn't be the case. It should be, um, you know, custom shop guitars are special individually uh, ordered guitars by people that want to have those kind of specifications. But a USA guitar should be something that the average person walk in and buy a really good quality Gibson, and that should be the main company. Anyway, so I, I, we wanted to do uh, slash models uh, on the USA side. So one is the AFD. Um, two of them are modeled after... Uh, my uh, my Vermilion and the other one's a sort of off tobacco guitar yeah. that I've been using live for the last uh, more than a year. And then the other one is a tobacco burst, which is a common thing for me, and, uh, and one of my favorite finishes of Les Paul. And then and the other one is the Anaconda burst I put out a couple of years ago. So these are all USA, you know, reasonably priced guitars, but great quality, great hardware, you know, yeah. all that stuff. They're beautiful, and you got the J45 acoustic. J45 acoustic, well. which is my first Gibson yeah. acoustic that I can remember. What like on a song like back on Appetite where you played acoustic? Mm-hmm. Like think of you or was that a Gibson or what was um, acoustic on that song? You know, uh, I don't think 
There is any. Oh, there is. There is an acoustic on "Think About You." I think. Is there? Is there something you're telling? <laughs> I was wondering if they didn't know if you knew which acoustic that guitar. No, was. No, I don't know. But I mean, yeah. I know that I used a. a let's see. For for the for the Lies record, I did a lot of acoustic. Um, but I can't remember exactly what I was using because I didn't own them. Now so you, you just sort of pick up whatever you could find. You once did a rehearsal and then a trip to Japan with one of my heroes, Nile Rogers, and you were yeah. playing one of your Les Pauls. Can you tell me who was in the room, what guitar that was, and what happened? Um, I had that. That was actually my 1980, I think it was an 88 or 87 Les Paul standard, the one uh, that Gibson gave me back in 1988. Uh, that was my main guitar all the way. It still is in my in my rig. Um, and I was in New York rehearsing with Niall and, and uh, Sheik for this Japanese tour. And I can't remember what song we were playing, but... You had some um, heavies in the room, like Steve Winwood was there. Steve, actually, it was a, we were doing... Steve, Stevie was singing ah, cool. that particular singer. song. So it had to have been... Um, I, I can't there think of the name of the song. Anyway, but I was just bending the neck as I do in in, in place of a tremolo bar. Yeah, so I just sort of press on the on the headstock, pulling on the headstock and, and pressing on the body. And it was just, you know, sometimes you get so emotionally into it that you forget your own strength. And I snapped the, the guitar in half. Um, but I managed to get it fixed yeah. in okay. time for the tour. So that was good. Did it render you bloody or something? Yeah, yeah, it knocked a fucking hole in the, I, I Well, you know what happens is because of the pressure, yeah. instead of it folding inwards, when it breaks, it pops outwards. It yeah. snaps the opposite direction. And uh, it, the, the part of it, either the body or the neck, probably the neck, hit me in the top lip. Yeah. And it put a, a, a dime-sized hole in my lip. <laughs> yeah. So there's plenty of, of ice and Jack Daniels for that. Yeah, so... Um now you also recorded with Eric Valentine, who's a guy I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eric's great. He, he did some cool stuff. He's really meticulous about recording guitars. Did he ever do anything that surprised you about tracking guitars? I actually I thought he was way more meticulous about recording drums. Um, he was really, really uh, uh, a scientist uh, on the drum side of things. On the guitars, you know. We, I mean, we, okay, we, I mean, when the first record that we did together, you know, it was just my regular setup and, and we didn't use any fancy mics or anything, but we, we, we really were conscious about the tone at the time, you know, but I, I think it was on the, on the uh, apocalyptic love record with the conspirators where I decided I was trying so hard to be able to get into the room with the guys and play live and have feedback and all that kind of stuff. So we built this thing called the slash box in the studio, which was a a room that I could play in with monitors inside of it and a cabinet yeah. and you have that feedback and also be able to hear what the band is playing and it you know it sort of worked but it wasn't it wasn't exactly um, what I was looking for because tonally it was very different because most of everything I was hearing was coming out of the out of the wedges right but it was you know it was a good idea and we did pull off some cool stuff with it how many heads do you run live? The loudest show I ever saw was you at the Roxy, which is <laughs> obviously a smaller place for you know the conspirators yeah. to play. But yeah, you had that shit cranked, or your sound man had it cranked. Or sound I, it's a combination of both. I don't I don't use um, a, you know a ton of gear. I use uh, basically a half yeah. stack, which is cranked up, but not not to maxed out. Um, 
and that's basically it you know so even when we're doing the the big stadium gigs it's basically just a half stack so on the reunion tour what was the most inspiring moment for you as a guitar player any things happen on stage that out of the ordinary on this last like i don't know if it was two it's, years it's been three years so three it's really years. hard to say at this point yeah some anything that sticks out as um a new epic moment on the guitar that is new to you in all your touring. Uh, you know i couldn't say uh, I, I couldn't tell you a singular epic moment um but there are moments that happen throughout but it's it's you know and I can say oh yeah there was a night here and I th- I wouldn't even know where that was. What about the most spinal tap moment? Or there's a there's you know wrong. just <laughs> as much there's a slew of those and I couldn't tell you exactly because that happens enough to the point where it's hard to differentiate spinal tap moments from unspinal tap moments. Um, I think probably the most spinal tap moment that just comes to mind off the top of my head is uh, going playing uh, Boston back in the snake pit days and having to take a commercial bus from whatever city we were playing in because the plane there was a problem with the airplane and having to get on a on a commercial commercial bus yeah and just making it to mama kins or ma kins whatever that aerosmith club was called um like literally five minutes before showtime Ah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. That was that was this for me. That was a smile tap moment that comes to mind. But like I said, there's a lot of them. I was actually talking to Steve Lukather last night about how important that movie was to really sort of depict the realities, how spot on it was. Yeah. Yeah. So what what's it like for Guns and Roses to play? like a place like the troubadour mm. that must have been a memorable gig that, well, yeah I mean, after so many years i don't know if it was that your first gig that was back our first gig back in uh, a small venue Sunset um, Strip. and i think probably the last time that we ever played there was in 1985 i don't think we even played there in 1986 probably 85 was the last time we played there and our first show together after 20 years you know i mean we obviously had more gear and more crew than we did back in the day i'll tell you that much um and it was loud but it was it was it was a lot of fun it was a, it was uh it was an almost poignant moment to fucking stand there and look at that crowd in that sort of room and sort of have that kind of nostalgic feeling you know on stage in your big gigs it looks like you have a plexiglass cover over your pedal board Mm. or something i don't know if you still have no that. it's saran wrap <laughs> saran wrap. literally that's if it's raining i don't even have a pedal board on, oh, yeah. on live i ha- i just have my wah pedal and Maybe that's that just saran wrap on that yeah because yeah you know i know you have these remote wahs usually or yeah you spread them out over the stage two or three wahs yeah two three three what kind of rigs are you running these days Marshall? i'm just rooting i'm running um for the most part new uh jubilees that marshall put out not too long ago and you know, uh, probably including backups, about 18 guitars were taken out. Yeah. Um, a lot of Les Pauls, the the ES-175, uh, my old nice. uh, Guild uh, six-string electric yeah. acoustic double neck, right? You know, uh, a couple Firebirds. Uh, there's a couple of BC Riches in there, uh, a couple of Gibson Acoustics. Um, you know, nothing, nothing totally bizarre. So, are the new pickups on the Les Paul standards on the Appetite guitar 
kind of like the Al Nico twos from Seymour Duncan yeah, or some the, kind of on the on the uh, okay on the original Appetite guitars I had the Seymour Duncans um, and I still use those yeah. which I, I they're actually named after me the the Al Nico two slash ones um, on the new core model Gibson makes some great pickups so we did some Al Nico uh, yeah. pick Al Nico two basic pickups on theirs and they're called slash buckers and they sound really good so well it's interesting talking to Eric Valentine again he. Uh, he, he got the best cable he could possibly plug to get your guitar into the amp. Yeah. And he told me it was almost too good. It was too bright. Like he needed to get a crappier cable with more impedance. Yeah. You know, what's funny is we actually, we actually started designing uh, a cable, Eric and I. He just reminded me of that. We never actually pursued it to the point of her production, but we did design a new cable while we were over there. Yeah, well, I know he makes a cable where it actually has a little meter on it, a little notch where you can switch the oh, he impedance. Oh, he must have done that since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's crazy. So uh, what's anything else you want to say about these guitars? And I'm just really happy about them. I'm really happy to finally have some USA slash guitars for yeah, once. Yeah, they're like under um, $3,000. Yeah. <laughs> just $1 under. Yeah. Um, and I've got, I've got one up in my, in my, in my room here at the hotel and I've had, yeah. had it at my house. It's like my practice guitar and it just plays great and it sounds great. And so I'm, I'm just, I love it when things come together and they yeah. work out, you know? Do you play the original Appetite guitar that much? Does it sit behind? It's, I know. I just thing? actually just took it back to the locker the other day. I had it in the studio, um, working on some gun stuff. So. And so what is the plan for guns? I, there is a tour coming up? There's everything. It's still con- <laughs> but it's new. I mean, no, no, the, yeah. there's a new, there's a new, uh, we're doing a show for the Super Bowl series. And then we're doing a, a Brazil, a South American tour and a European tour in the summer. And uh, right. also coming back to the States. And it is not the, not, not in this lifetime tour. Right. So it's not labeled that. Yeah. Is your, are you tracking right now? New stuff? Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> Tell me about your uh, co-guitarist Frank Sidoris. Mm. And what you know, and in your in the conspirators. Yeah, what about Frank? What's uh, what's your dynamic like with him on stage, and what does he bring to the band that sets um, him apart from any other, so many other great guitar players on earth? Why Frank? Because uh, Frank, I mean, uh, funnily enough, I did audition a bunch of guitar players to. Uh, join the band after we lost uh bobby you know it's hilarious i think i might have been one of them but this isn't about me talk really of, talk of, yeah, yeah. I, you weren't there that day i wasn't there no friend. because it was it was a, li- a lot of these people yeah. i didn't know and it was yeah. it was there was definitely the feeling like a lot of people were calling in that were just calling in to come down there and it just got a little sketchy so uh um, I didn't go down there for all the auditions, but I saw videos of all the yeah. auditions, and and uh, and I mean everybody was great, but trying to find somebody who's inherently a rock and roll guitar player that's got um, sort of roots in a rock vein that are a little bit more old school. I mean, I as long you know as long as there's that natural feel for that kind of thing, and Frank, you know, was somebody that that uh, a couple of the guys knew, you know, uh, Brent and, and yeah. Todd knew him. And I was like, I think I'd met him at some point prior to that. But it was finally at the last minute I said, okay, you know, because I didn't want to be sort of partial, right? You know, right. Uh, and so I had him come down, and and he just he just was fucking amazing, you know. He just had uh, didn't didn't wasn't didn't have to be a lead guitar player in this context, which is sort of like I like somebody who can do solos and I, and and all that, but I don't want somebody who's going to come in and I have to be like 
you know, deal with that sort of like, oh, I, well, I want to do, I want to be the solo guitar player too. He just fit, <laughs> you right? know, and he just so he just fit in, and he's a he's a fucking really great player, especially for such a young guy. Yeah. And personality wise, he just missed. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I think I got to let you go here, but. Thank you so much for doing it. I think of you on a much huger level as that kind of guy, too, who can fit in and throw down the solos, throw down the groove, and <laughs> just fit into any band, because, I mean, you work with so many people, you know. Oh, well, thank you. Michael thank you Jackson. very much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's actually it's yeah. a good thing to be able to work with different people. It's something I work out to sort of yeah. take me out of my sort of normal, I don't, I don't want to say comfort zone, but it is, you know, take you out of your rectangle. And, right. So it's Fantastic. Good. All right, man. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Yeah, fun hanging with a super cool rock star, man. They don't really get too much more chill as far as people who have sold hundreds of millions of records than Saul Hudson, a.k.a. Slash. Love that dude. And remember to go to ErnieBall.com and check out the cool-ass VP Junior Tuner Pedal. Two-in-one volume pedal and tuner. Got to see it to believe it. ErnieBall.com. I got to make like Mark Marin here a little bit and play a little guitar for you at the end since it's a shorter episode. If you don't mind, I want to I wanna, I wanna dig back into where I left off on that cool tune that I'm sure you recognize. Thanks again so much for listening and say hi on Twitter, Jude underscore gold, or on the Facebook page for No Guitar Is Safe, or on Instagram, etc. for Jude underscore gold. I really appreciate your support. We're all going to get through this. Live long and prosper. Thank mm-hmm. you.